Hey, everybody, this is episode 58 of Artist Soapbox. Hello, and welcome to Artist Soapbox, a podcast featuring triangle area artists talking about their work, their plans, their manifestos. I am Tamara Kassane. Would you like some acting tips from one of the triangle's most well known actors? Well, listen up to my conversation with Lakeisha Coffey. She talks about her process, auditioning, and finding a character. For example, she played Durham civil rights activist Anne Atwater twice. Have you seen the movie trailer for the upcoming film with Taraji Henson? Well, that's Lakeisha's part. We also touch on what it was like to take the final bow with Derek Ivey on Man Bites Dog Theater's stage when the beloved company closed after 31 seasons. I was there. It was powerful. Again and again in this conversation, you'll hear Lakeisha emphasize the power of supportive relationships, connection, and gratitude in theater making. Lakeisha Coffey made her first professional appearance in Durham at Man Bites Dog Theater in The Overwhelming. She performed in many Man Bites productions since then, including the company's farewell production of Wakey Wakey, directed by Jeff Storer. She's worked locally with theater companies such as 40AM, Bartlett Theater, Justice Theater Project, Burning Coal, Raleigh Little Theater, and Little Green Pig Theatrical Concern. She was part of the creative development team for the inaugural Bull City Black Theater Festival held in March 2018 in Durham, North Carolina. Lakeisha is also a founding member of Bulldog Ensemble Theater. Enjoy the episode. Hi, Lakeisha. Hello. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me here. I'm excited to have this conversation because it gives me the opportunity to learn more about you. I feel like I've been watching you on stage for years now, but we haven't been able to sit down and have an actual conversation about the art that you make and um, how you got to where you are. So I wanted to start with a very broad question, and that is, how and when did you start acting in the triangle? Okay. So I have a friend who is a model slash actor, and he put me in contact with a young lady who was a budding writer and needed somebody to fill in for a skit. Um, and so I went and I did that. And then he heard an advertisement for auditions on um, a radio station here. So I went and did that. So when was that? What this year? was um, 2006, actually. Okay. Um, I, and I did that. I did that play. And a lot of the people that were associated with that play had already worked at Raleigh Little Theater. And so um, they was like, go and audition. They have the show coming up. And so the very first... Um, community theater that I had done was a show called The Waiting Room by Sam Art Williams at Rye Little Theater in 2006. Um, and I did another show there, A Raisin in the Sun. Um, a director in Durham saw me, um, Jay Obersky, and um, invited me to audition for Man Bites. And so that's how I came to, to Durham. And so I've been here ever since. Now, before that, were you doing acting in high school or grade school? No, I wanted to ever since I was little. Um, but there weren't any programs where I was um, in terms of like getting in as a child. And when I got to high school, drama class always conflicted with what I needed to graduate. Uh -huh. And what I wanted to do was get out of high school so I can get out the house. Um, <laughs> and so I was never able to take any of those drama classes. Um, so I didn't get started until I was well into adulthood. Hmm. And since then, you've been acting pretty much nonstop, I feel like. 
How have you built up your acting chops? Um, it's a lot of on-the-job training. Um, I've never taken a class. Um, knock on wood, I, <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of hard to explain um, the quote-unquote talent build. Um, other than to say I've worked with some really good people on stage as castmates and some really good directors that have helped you know, educate me on the process through the years. Mm-hmm. So part of it is learning from other people and then just working with your own process yeah. over time. Yeah. Okay. I want to learn a little bit more about young Lakeisha, like tiny Lakeisha. Did you, you said you wanted to act since you were little. Mm-hmm. Were you putting on shows in your house or what were you doing? I was a total mess as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> I was the, um, I would pop in if you were eating your meal, breakfast, lunch, dinner, bowl of cereal, didn't matter. And throw my hands on my hips and do a little dance and say, did you say your grace yet? <laughs> and you could say yes, but you could not finish eating until I see you say it. Um, and so that was at like three, so I'm told. <laughs> um, but then, you know, there's family reunions where you have to recite Bible verses and, you know, watching TVs and movies and memorizing different scenes. I would come into the room and just start doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's always been there. I've always wanted to do it. Um, I just, like I said, never had the the opportunity to do so. Mm-hmm. Well, you've had lots of opportunities the last <laughs> since 2006. What are some favorite roles that you have enacted? Um, I have a few, actually. Um, one of them being Moni from I Love My Hair When It's Good and then again when it looks defiant and impressive. Um, and the reason that is like one of my like top favorites is because I was able to be a part of the creative process from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people don't know that Shaughnessy Webb actually workshopped the show for about two years before it was put on here. Um, and it was a continuation of part of her graduate um, program when she was in graduate school. It's a continuation from that. So there's an actual excerpt in the middle um, called I Come From. And, and it was little pieces that everyone contributed that day. So it's it's things that on stage, I'm like, I remember that day. And so that, um, that's been really important to me over the years. And it was a really fun show and super relevant to me. Um, another one of my favorites was Anne Atwater and the Best of Enemies. Um, it was the first time I've ever got a chance to portray a, a real live individual and to have them in the room. Mm-hmm. And it felt good to be able to intimately tell this story about Durham in Durham mm-hmm. with people that were associated right there watching you and nodding in approval of the work that you've that you've done to tell their story. Now, Moni and Anne Atwater were roles that you played more than once because I believe that both of those shows had um, two productions, maybe a year apart or mm-hmm. two years apart for each one. What was it like to step back into a part? So the I Love My Hair the second time was a remix. So there was a few things that were pulled out and a couple of new elements dropped in. Um, but being able to be back with my sister friends and anyone who's actually seen us on Facebook know that when we get together, we are together. Mm-hmm. And that show was done in 2012 for the first time. We're six years into this and still super, super tight. Um, we have a group chat. We mm-hmm. <laughs> text each other really often. So 
stepping back into that was super easy because we already had a really strong relationship. And relationship is important when you're building as a cast. Um, the same with Best of Enemies. Um, the the four of us are still super supportive of each other. Um, actually, Derek and Thaddeus came to see my most recent show um, last weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, so having that relationship that be so strong, stepping back into that role, um, was a lot easier than it probably would have been if it were totally different people. Um, and a, a lot of th- the elements were still the same the second time around with the best of enemies, just a different staging, so to say. Um, but being able to give the same type of performance a second time around is a little bit of pressure, especially when it was so well received the first time. Um, but the second time around, we still got, you know, very warm audiences, um, very good reception afterwards. So um, it, it felt like a, a win-win both times. Mm. So this brings up so many questions for me, but let me try and kind of parse them out. The first question has to do with what is, what are the magical ingredients for having a cast get so close? Because in both examples you're talking about, these are people you're still really close to, you still support each other's work. What was happening in the rehearsal room to um, encourage those kinds of relationships? It's kind of hard to explain, really. Um, it's kind of like you you go into grade school and you make a friend with somebody and then they end up being at your wedding. <laughs> um, so it's, it's sometimes the magic is just that that's just there. It's not a way to really create that. And sometimes trying to create that with another group of people, it just feels wrong. Mm-hmm. And so when it's right, it's right. There's there's no, like, ingredients to make it work a second and third and fourth time. It's, I think it just has to be there from the beginning. The, the energy has to be cohesive and everyone has to be present and showing up. And I think that's one of the things that we can, I can say that we were able to do each time is we were always there in support of one another, mm-hmm. um, both on the stage and off the stage. You know, there's, there were birthdays that happened both times around, and we took time out of the process to celebrate that individual as a collective. And so things like that are important. Do you think anything had to do with the subject matter? Because both of those pieces are pretty personal. Mm-hmm. They're Durham-focused. Even though Shaughnessy was working elsewhere and brought the work here, it still had a real Durham flavor to it. Do you think that had anything to do with it or no? Um, quite possibly. I do know that the first time around for The Best of Enemies, there were some slight inconsistencies just geographically that were on the page and people that perform the show outside of Durham don't pick up on that Mm. Um, but you know having to know that on Main Street it does not intersect with B Street so to say it's like no they run parallel so you can't say that this is on the corner of that having that intimate knowledge kind of helped with the the story and so we became more invested as a collective I think that that may have something to do with it. Mm -hmm. I think that the investment of the actors is really important. And you mentioned it in a couple of different ways, being part of the development process, rooting story 
where we live. I mean, I think that does change the way the actors feel committed to the work or potentially could. And I think that's wonderful. My experiences that have that as part of the background are some of the closest ones to my heart. So for people who don't know, I guess I should mentioned this. The Best of Enemies is a play by Mark St. Germain. It was directed here in Durham by Joseph Meagle, and it focuses on the unlikely friendship between Anne Atwater, who was a civil rights activist, and C.P. Ellis, who was a Ku Klux Klan member, um, played by Derek Ivey in this case, and you played Anne Atwater. She's a pretty iconic character. This is now turning into a movie. You met her... How did you approach playing this character and how did you manage the pressure that you might have felt or others might have put on you to step into those shoes? I can honestly say that um, Joseph was very helpful in that process of, like you said, it's an iconic role. And I will tell you when I auditioned, I was like, I'm not going to get this. I looked at photos of Anne and there is another actress who's currently on television now, Aisha Hans, that did the reading that they did at the Haytai. And I looked at photos of her and just like the setup of, of how things were in, in different photos of back in the day. And I was like, I'm not going to get this role. I don't look anything like this woman. I don't have the same you know, stature. I don't have the same presence when I walk in the room, but I, I, I did. <laughs> um, I, I did get it. And it was a shock. It was a, a total shock. And so I was super grateful, which helped me be more receptive to learning in the process. And I think that kind of helps sometimes when, when getting to in some of these quote unquote larger roles is knowing that it could have been anybody, but it's you. And so appreciating the fact that you have this opportunity helps to, you know, make you more of a sponge um, instead of coming in the room feeling entitled mm. to to that role. So how did you find her in you? Vocally. And, and that, I think, actually also attributed to me being able to, to get the role because I came in with my regular voice introducing myself. Hi, I'm Lakeisha Coffey, yada, 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 so on and so forth. And then <laughs> as soon as I got started with the monologue, I was like, put down that phone. And he looked at me like, <laughs> what in the world? And so <laughs> I think just for one, that shock factor, like, oh, so I can direct her. And also in the auditioning process, being able to take a note mm. is super important to be able to do that in that space because if you can't take a note in an audition you're going to be super hard to direct in the process being able to to show that I could do that kind of like helped I believe mm -hmm. but yeah Joseph attributed to to helping me get in touch with Anne body movements I I tend to walk light on my feet because in essence, in my in my heart, in my core, in my soul, I'm a dancer. Mm. <laughs> but also, we lived in apartments when I was young, and my mom would be like, "Stop walking so heavy. People live downstairs." <laughs> and so, I always walked on my tiptoes so that nobody could hear me. But with Anne being a larger statured woman, she was not light on her feet. So I had to sit back on my heels, sitting back on my heels, getting into my body, getting into my voice, helped me connect a lot with her mm. because I removed me from the process. 
So I want to go back a minute. When you arrived at the audition, did you know you were going to make those vocal choices? Did you prepare in that way or did it just pop out of you? Um, I, I prepared. I try not to spend a lot of time on a side when I get it because I feel like I would overanalyze it and I would bring too much of Lakeisha to the audition and not enough of the character. And so I will look at a side to familiarize myself with it, to know kind of what's going on in the moment. But I wait until I get into the room for the audition to to see what it is the director wants because mm. – Collectively, we all have something creative to add to the process, actors as well. But being able to come in with your own thoughts about it, but then also be able to collaborate in that one to two minutes that you have with the director is also important. So I try not to bring too much of me into the room. I did, you know, after reading it was like, okay, she she um, kind of is demanding. And since she's super demanding, let me see, how can I be super demanding just being there? And so I was like, maybe speak deeper. Let's try that. Because that's the the authoritative figures that I knew from growing up. That's what they, they sounded like. Mm-hmm. And so I just, you know, pulled from my grandma, my the Miss Hunter, the lady who lived next door to her. And, you know, that's that's what we got when we got in the room. Thank you, Grandma. Thank you, Miss Hunter, uh-huh. for your inspiration. <laughs> <laughs> so you're sharing a lot of wisdom, and I really appreciate it, about best practices for actors. I know that you taught an acting workshop earlier this year for for Bull City Black Theater Festival. I want to know what that was like for you and some other tips or tricks that you shared with those actors that might help other folks who are listening. Sure. So um, that was the first time, and I say the first because I I don't want it to be the last, that I quote-unquote teach a workshop. And all the years that I've been acting, I've never taken the stage, knock on wood, with nerves. Hmm. But going into that room, I was so super nervous. I was like, I can't do this. I'm not qualified. I haven't studied this. I haven't taken a class, you know, People aren't going to listen. You know, are they really going to respect what I have to say while I'm there? And so because of that, I didn't want to come into the room on do this, do this, do this. What I did was I, I took scripts that were all written by black writers, um, male and female. But I redacted anything related to gender or age and the characters' names so that when you got the script in that room... You're just reading what you think is happening in the moment, how you think it sounds, without any direction from, okay, this is a woman, so now I have to speak in a high-pitched voice, or I have to hold my body in a certain Mm way. And so calling it the playground, it was more of a, let's play. What do you use when you try to memorize lines? Um, What do you do when you're trying to to build your character. And so it was more of kind of like the the work that we did when we first started with I Love My Hair, just a, a workshop type environment, let's share. It was kind of like a Skillshare moment and that was what was important to me, being that no one actually sat down and quote unquote drilled this into my head with academia. I feel like all of the learning that I've gotten on stage, I've gotten on stage. And so it was important to me to be able to share with the people in the room who have already been on stage as well. 
You know, my best practice may not be your best practice, but your best practice may help her Mm. or him. And so that's that's kind of, you know, what was my goal? Like I said, I was I was scared out of my mind. I was and I was (laughs) I spoke to my father and my uncle on the way. And my uncle said, if you're not nervous and you don't care about it. Mm-hmm. So it's okay that you are. And I was like, okay, okay. Got into the room, shared that little bit of the story just as an icebreaker to let everybody know we're probably feeling the same right now. You're scared to get up here and read this script in front of people you don't know. Just like I'm scared to stand up here and tell you how I work behind the scenes. But it was a, it was a great opportunity. It was, and it was so much fun. It was just, it was just fun to the point where we have discussed on possibly doing other workshops in that manner and continuously calling it the playground because that's what we're there to do. We're just here to play. But to drill down on some of the things that we talked about that day. We talked about line memorization, ways to to memorize your lines. We talked about connecting with your character. We talked about connecting with your seed mate. Things that you know, you could learn in the process while you're on stage, but having some of that knowledge coming into the room helps make the directing process a lot easier for the director when you also have some type of creative to bring to the table. Yes, yes. Let's talk about the connecting with your scene mate. Mm-hmm. Do you remember any good gems from the workshop that you'd like to share? One that is super important to me is to know what your scene mate is talking about, too. Mm-hmm. Um, people pick on me all the time, and I don't even care <laughs> that <laughs> I know the whole script. I know my lines. I know your lines. I know his lines because that's important for my character. If I don't know what it is that you're talking about, then I can't actively engage in dialogue with you. And it happens on stage when actors go up on lines. Yes. And if I don't know your lines or you don't know my lines, we can't save each other. So we can't connect as scene mates if we don't know the story. So that was one of the the things that we 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 talked about pretty heavily was basically giving honor to the script that you have. Everybody has a job to do in this process and the actors cannot take stage. The director cannot direct. There is nothing to light to sound or put costumes on if the writer does not put those words on that paper. Oh so gosh. I love you right now so much. Um, <laughs> so it was like I was like Honor that. Honor, honor that this writer said, I have this story to tell. They put those words on these paper. It's not a, um, a roadmap that you can just turn off of because you're, you're not going to get to the end if you don't honor every word as written. Mm-hmm. Punctuation, periods, commas, ellipses, all of those matter in the way the story is told. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that so much. Thank you for sharing. It's funny. A story just came to me about a time when I was in a play and things were changing very last minute up to up until we opened. And I remember saying to my castmates, I was like, guys, I don't know your lines. I barely know my lines. I'm telling you, if you go up, you're on your own. And it was a terrible feeling. It was For me, it was terrible because I was so anxious. I didn't know if I had my own words, but I certainly didn't know what they were talking about. And it sort of felt like we were um, almost robots up there. It's like, I'm listening to the, I'm listening for my last three words, like my last cue line, and then I'm going to talk and I'm going to say whatever I think my lines are. You know what I mean? And it was not at all the kind of authentic 
collaborative experience that I like to have on stage where we're all working together. We all have each other's backs. And I will never forget how anxious that made me and how I felt like I was kind of letting my castmates down, even though I told them, I was like, look, I'm just going to tell you, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you better know your stuff. I cannot help you. But I didn't feel like I was part of the team in a way that I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, that's a really that's a great acting tip. All right. Let's talk about some harder things here. Okay. I want to know from you some big challenges you've had and then attached to that, what kind of misconceptions you think people have about actors? So some of the challenges I've had is time-wise. So let's say there have been um, times where I'm working on multiple projects. So it's like, okay, I have three days to learn these nine monologues and then the very next day I have to get on stage and remember all the lines Mm -hmm. that I've been rehearsing for the past two weeks. So that has been a challenge. It happened very recently (laughs) because I'm working on a doll's house remodeled right now with Justice Theater Project and but I did a a, an edutainment type gig where there was a lot of focus on diversity and inclusion and so I had to basically memorize monologues from six different characters, but be believable in all of them. Hmm. Um, So that challenge was super challenging. Yeah, keeping Um, the projects separate in your mind. Yeah. But it it came, we did it. it. It came off without a hitch. Everyone loved it. Of course, I had hiccups because, you know, of, of the time constraints, but it felt good afterwards. It was like, I did it. I finally did it. I did it. I was able to perform alone and I was able to, you know, connect with my audience and they believed the work that I did. It felt great. One of the biggest misconceptions I think people have about actors is that anybody can do this and that it's easy. And it's not. Anybody can memorize lines and recite them, but not everybody can bring life to a character from those lines. Mm. Me saying, put down that phone versus put down that phone. Mm -hmm. It feels different because it is different. And everybody from, well, I'm not going to say everybody. That's a sweeping generalization. But a lot of people from the outside looking in are like, I can be an actor. You know, I I can memorize lines. It's more than that. Acting is more than just memorizing lines. You have to have it in your body. You have to care about the story. And if you're just memorizing lines and reciting them, then you're not doing that. Mm-hmm. What about the emotional investment that you make in a character? Because I know that you've played some characters that have some really tough emotional journeys over the course of the play. Do you have a way of accessing those emotions and then also shedding that character at the end of a performance? So... If there is an emotional connection to be made, and this is for me, if there is an emotional connection to be made with this actor, I do it in the moment. I don't try to say, okay, I feel like this actor, I mean, this, this character should be crying right now. So what can I think of to make me cry? If I'm connected to this character, if I'm connected to this moment, those tears are going to come on their own. I'm not going to, like, mechanically generate them, which for me makes the emotion genuine. And so because I genuinely feel it, the audience will genuinely feel it. Of course, there are, you know, 
times in the moment where something else may have happened. Um, I'll give you a prime example. We were doing I Love My Hair the second time, and there was a young man that I was seeing at the time told me he was coming to the show that night, and he did not come. And I didn't find out until I was putting on my makeup that he was not coming. Mm -hmm. So I took the stage with a different level of emotion, (laughs) but I used it. I used that energy to still feed my character, but I didn't generate tears in a moment that wasn't real. It was just my, my body was feeling something different at that moment. And so because Lakeisha physically was feeling something different, Moni had a different uh, show up, showing up that mm-hmm. night. She showed up different that night. And I remember one of my castmates, um, Yolanda, Yolanda Raven, she said she watched me from the side and was like, oh, my God, she is really feeling this. And that was the night that I learned that the, the young lady that played my mother, Sharita McMullen, she said she watched me say that monologue every night before she came on stage. So her coming on was fueled by how I felt. So that text message to say I'm not going to make it helped my through line emotionally that night just because of what my body was feeling. Mm -hmm. But my character was still the same, just more invested, if that makes sense. Right. That's a beautiful thing about live performance. There are those subtle differences. I mean, you want to deliver the same high quality of performance for every audience, but we are all human and different things happen in our days and that fuels our performance in different ways and allowing ourselves to access that is, once you get that, it's it's a gift. It mm-hmm. ends up being a gift, even though it might feel uncomfortable in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was a lot of energy that night <laughs> because I had started my makeup and then I started crying and I was Aww. like, oh, I got to do my whole face over. So then it was anger when I got out there. <laughs> like, it's going to be all right. going to be all right. Gonna... <laughs> but it was, a, it, was a, it was a good show. I had a, a coworker who had actually seen it earlier in the run and brought her granddaughter that night. And she said she was watching that particular night and was like, whoa. Mm-hmm. Something's going on, but I like it. <laughs> <laughs> so both uh, versions of I Love My Hair were staged at Man Bites Dog Theater. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to talk to you about Man Bites Dog. They recently concluded their final season after 31 years in Durham. You were a longtime staple there, many, many shows. And during their last season, you were in the opening show of the final season, which was Life Sucks by Aaron Posner, directed by Jeff Storer. You were in the final show of the season, which was Wakey Wakey, written by Will Eno and directed by Jeff Storer. And then you were in one in between, uh, The Miraculous and The Mundane by Howard Kraft, directed by Joseph Meagel. So you were there during the, the, the beginning and the concluding of a pretty emotional time for the Durham Theater community. What was that like? So some people had come to see Wakey Wakey, and that, and that was a pretty long run. We ran for four weeks when generally we only do three, but we did four. And towards like the middle of the second week of the run, someone was like, I know this is really hard for you all emotionally. And um, Derek and I were like, well, we're good. <laughs> because in essence, it's like we were saying goodbye 19 times. Ah, uh, yeah. But that 19th time was something 
you were there. I was there. I cried like a baby. I cried like a fool. <laughs> I had to leave immediately. It was so I was almost embarrassed. I was like, I cannot, I cannot deal. So yeah. I'm sorry, you go ahead. No, you're fine. <laughs> so that, um, if you recall, or if anyone listening recalls, that final walk up the stage to open the door to reveal all of the balloons for yes. the party. Beautiful surprise, yes. That was the only time during the run that I cried because I was like, and and it, oh my goodness, that last everything towards the end of the show was just like too much for me. Um, I was like, this is the last time I'm going to put the top on this thermos. This is the last time I'm going to grab this bag. This is the last time I'm going to open this door. And that this is the last time I'm going to open this door was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? <laughs> like you said, Man Bites was like, my second home for a number of years. So coming into the beginning of the season with Life Sucks, I'm like, you know, this is the last season opener that's ever going to be at Man Bites. This is the last time, you know, some of the people in this show are going to take a, a, a bow on this stage. And so... I think my my final curtain call with Wakey Wakey was building the entire time. Like, Derek gave a perfect analogy. It was like it's senior year and you're driving to school every day mm. of your senior year. Mm-hmm. And then the last show was like graduation. And I don't know how most people felt their high school graduation night, but you would have thought... We were never, ever, ever going to see each other again. Like, this was a funeral for some people. And it was similar to that, but it was, it was, it was, it's, it was really, it's been hard mm-hmm. to, to, to know that Man Bites is gone. It was hard to let it go. So it was, it was hard in the, in the process to stay jovial and upbeat. But I was super appreciative the entire time because, I mean, there are only two of us can say, can say that we took the final bow on Man Bite stage. Only two of us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And when asked to do the show, I was like, oh, my God, seriously, me? And I think I cried that day. I'm <laughs> like, what? Me? You have the choice of so many different actors in the Triangle and in Durham. And you asked me. So it was, it was humbling, mm-hmm. super humbling. And I'm still super appreciative. It was a lovely performance. It was a really meaningful show um, to me personally. Why do you think we have such or we had such an emotional attachment to that place? Probably for the same reason that I've had such an emotional attachment to I Love My Hair and the Best of Enemies because of the relationships that were brewed in that building from front of the house to the directors to the volunteers. It was kind of like, you know, they're we're, they're selling grandma's house. Yeah, we, oh yeah. <laughs> we yeah. we can't go sit on grandma's front porch anymore because you know it's now the Wilsons. You know, yeah, right? Kind of right. thing. Some people so. we don't know. Yeah, on grandma's house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. What's next for you? What's next for me is I'm writing. What? This is new information. All right. So I've been dropping little hints here and there over like the past year. Like on Facebook, I was like, oh, my God, I can't wait till I get a laptop. 
writing this play on paper has been hard. And so some people are like, well, what? You're what? I took a photo the other day. I take selfies a lot. And I took a picture in the car. And, you know, sometimes, you know, the the sun hits your face in a different way. And so it, like, blacks everything. Well, not blacks. Uh, it's super bright light. Yeah, yeah. It sort of um, light blasts everything. Yeah. yeah. And so I took the picture and I was like, I'm going to delete this because you can't even really see my face. But then I looked and I was like, oh, my God. My eyes are beautiful in this picture. And that was actually the only thing on my face that you could see. And I was like, this is what I need to keep pushing me forward in this writing. Because that picture is basically the subject matter of what I'm writing. I don't want to say too much about what the story is because I want um, for it to flesh itself out a little bit more so that I know exactly the direction that I'm going in. But I feel like it's a story that needs to be told in the black community to bring awareness that people already have but make them uncomfortable Mm. in that awareness so they do something about it. A lot of self-reflection I want to come from this um, for people to say, this is how I feel, but it's okay. So I know that's like super vague and super gray, and everybody's like, what in the world? What is? <laughs> but it's, it's where you are in your process. Yeah. And is it a play or is it a story? It's going to be a play. Okay. Mm-hmm. But I'm still toying with whether or not it will be a one-woman show or if there will be, because I, I do, in, in some of the drafts that I have now, there are other characters, but it's like, do I leave those characters to be the audience? And like, just talk to the audience as that care as if that character is on stage with me, or do I want to put another person on stage mm-hmm. in this character? So I'm still toying with that, but this this process has been fun. It has to be able to be one of those people that's telling a story. Why did you decide to write? Actually, because this is this character is my dream character. And I've not been able to find a play that already has this character in it. I've not been able to find something that has had this story told. So I was like, okay, it's my turn. I'll tell the story. If it's something that I feel this passionate about, I should be able to put this on paper to to put it out to the world. Wonderful. I cannot. I'm so intrigued now. (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait to read or see or hear more about this. When are you going to start putting more information out into the world. Do you have a sense of that? So I've been tasked by Jamika Holloway Burrell. <laughs> Taskmaster. Yes, I have been tasked to have my first draft done by December. Oh, okay. To have um, some sort of um, trusted process reading. So I'll be sending out invitations to to those who are familiar with this type of work to get feedback, to know what my next steps should be. I've spoken with Howard Kraft and Mike Wiley in the past about how do you write a one-person show or let's sit down and, and, and flesh out some of these ideas that I have. And scheduling-wise, everyone's just been so busy that it's not come to fruition, these meetings. But I'm like, I can't stagnate my process because I can't sit in the room with someone else. Right. So I have to get to work. And so that's what I've been doing. Right. Good for you. Thank you so much Thank you. for being here. I'm so glad to have the opportunity to talk to you. I feel like it's been a long time coming, and I'm really, really grateful that today is the day. Yeah. So thanks. Thank you. 
The biggest and best thing you can do right now to support this podcast is to share this episode with a friend or two or three or four. Build our listenership. Spread the word about the value of hearing artists talk about their work in this community. Let your friends know you listen and encourage them to listen too. Artist Soapbox theme music by Bart Matthews. This episode of Artist Soapbox was recorded at Shadowbox Studio in Durham, North Carolina, shadowboxstudio.org. See links in the show notes and on our website for more information, artistsoapbox.org. Thanks so much, and we're out. <laughs>